Savior is Jesus my Lord, a wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock where rivers of pleasure I see. He hideth my soul. Let us sing our hearts out to him this morning.
your seat. Okay, boys and girls, if you want to make your way to the front, Hannah's going to lead you in your children's song this morning, and then straight after that, go you out to Sunday school, and then young Zach Fulton's coming up to read a, a portion of scripture. Oliver was to be here this morning, but unfortunately he's sick. So Hannah, you take your liberty with the young ones this morning. recent times I've really felt the presence of God during times of unease and worry. These verses from Colossians 3 and Matthew 6 instruct us to look around and see how it doesn't how worry doesn't add to anything. Instead we are to look up and let the peace of Christ rule. Matthew 6 25 to 34 Therefore I tell you do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body what you will put on is not more is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his pan of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God secludes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not more and more, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Colossians 3, verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Them verses was for me this morning, because I'm anxious standing here in front of you. 
The word of God's amazing, and God's real, a real comforter in a time of need. I need it that this morning. Uh, Zach, thank you very much. We're coming to our, our uh, communion hymn now. It's King of my life, I crown thee now, lest I forget Gethsemane. So we'll all stand and rise.
you folks. Please take your seat. I want to read um, four verses of Scripture this morning at the table from Romans 5, verses 6 to 10. The Word of God says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. As we come to meet at this table this morning, this is the place where as believers we are commanded to gather on the Lord's day to remember the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And at the table this morning, there's everything that we need as Christians. There's love, there's truth, there's forgiveness, there's cleansing, there's mercy, there's grace, justification, redemption, restoration, reconciliation. There's strength, courage, and boldness, peace, power, healing, hope, and life. And I know it's not found in the cup, and it's not found in the, in, in, in the bread. It's found in the one we've come to remember, and he's here with us this morning as Jesus Christ. We sang, lest we forget Gethsemane, or lest we forget thine agony. Let us never, ever forget what Jesus Christ paid for us at Calvary. Let us never forget that night in Gethsemane, where he sweat them great drops of blood because of the burden of sin that was bearing down upon him. Let us never forget how they jammed that crown of thorns into his skull. Thorns that could be an inch and a half thick. Let us never forget how they punched him in the face. They mocked him, they beat him, they spat on him, they pulled the beard out of his face. And yet they took him to a flogging post and they flogged him to the very skin and muscle and flesh was ripped of his back to his ribcage was exposed. That's how brutal this was for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How cruel the heart of man is, but how great the love of God is when we think of this. Because Christ went willingly to Calvary and he laid willingly on that cross as them Roman soldiers drove them steel spikes into his wrists and into his feet and he cried out, Father, forgive them, for they knew not what they do. Christ took our sin and he nailed it to the cross. And that's what we come to remember this morning. Christ became sin on that cross and he pleased the wrath of God on that cross for us. And it's only through the blood of Christ that we are justified. It's only through the blood of Christ that we are saved. And it's only the blood of Christ that will keep us out of hell and breaks the power of sin in our lives this morning. Christ gave it all for us, folks. And when we look at this, when God looks at us this morning, it blows my mind. He doesn't see Stephen McCarroll standing here because I'm, I'm, I'm wretched. He sees the righteousness of Christ. And that's powerful. And it's the same with you if you're saved in here this morning. See, the Bible tells us the joy of the Lord is our strength. And we read this morning there that, that without strength, we, that Christ came and he died for the ungodly when we were without that strength. And the joy of the Lord this morning is our strength as we gather at this table to thank him for what we've done. And here's... And yet Christ, he's seen whenever he suffered on that cross. There's a verse of scripture that always makes me think that it's in Hebrews 12. There's a joy set before Christ that morning on that cross. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and he seated down, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It wasn't the cross that was the joy. It was knowing his mission would soon be accomplished on this earth. It was known that he would soon be restored to his heavenly glory and seated on the throne. It was known, and I think this is beautiful, that he openly made a show of Satan at Golgotha's hell that day and he conquered death 
and the grave. He looked forward to the joy of the people he would save. And that joy, as you and me, it stands and sits before him here this morning as we come to gather at this table. That was the joy that was set before Christ. And folks, I truly believe one of these Sunday mornings, this will be the last time we'll meet at this table. We are in perilous times in this day and age. We're in the season of Christ's return. And I believe soon and very soon, our faith is going to be turned into sight. Just let me pray. Father, we just thank you for Calvary, Lord. Father, thank you for that cross that brought heaven to earth, Lord. Lord, thank you for that mission that was accomplished, Father. And thank you for the empty tomb this morning, Lord. We love you this morning. We say that openly, Father, because you first loved us. Father, thank you now, and we thank you for the offer we're about to have now, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing our, our, our offering hymn this, now. If you just remain seated until the offering's gathered, and the hymn will be beneath the cross. And as beneath the cross, that's where our un- unworthy souls were won. And the, and the ground is level ground at the cross this morning for each and every one of us. So let's be thankful as we sing this this morning, beneath the cross. Father, 
Lord, you know what has happened here in our meeting, Father. And we're praying, Father, for your hand of help. We're praying for your hand of strength, your hand of healing upon this situation, Lord. Lord, I pray for this woman this morning, Father God. Just to comfort her at this time in her need, Father. Just help this situation, Lord. We need you now, Father God. And Lord, I need you now as I come to this word, Lord. I'm an unlearned and ignorant man. And just hide me behind the cross, Father. I'm looking you to just come and let, the, let, the, let your living waters flow over our souls this morning. Let the Holy Spirit come into this meeting this morning and take control, Father. That's all we're looking for, Lord. Lord, we can't do this in our own strength. It's all for you, Father. If it's not all for you, it's all for naught. Lord, we love you this morning. Close us in with yourself, Lord. Give us a teachable spirit and let us hear. Let us hear how you speak to us, Lord. And let, you, let us feel you, Lord. Move from out of the island, seat to seat in here this morning, Lord. Touching hearts, changing lives, Father. Because you're a great God and we love you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Folks, um, if you have a Bible with you this morning, would you turn to Galatians 5, please? What you read from verses 13 to 26. God's word says, yes, His word is like a hammer. And I'm going to be open with you this morning. A year ago, nearly, this word hit me like a hammer between the eyes and right into my heart. And it challenged me. And it was these scriptures that brought me to Balaam Church in Collybaggy. In Galatians 5.13, the word of God says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one with another. As I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, and heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections of the lusts. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And let us not be desirous of being glory, provoking one another, envying one another. And you know, folks, every born-again, blood-bought, Bible-believing Christian has washed in the blood of Christ, receives the Holy Spirit when they get saved. And it blows my mind to think when we read about the Holy Spirit's work in a person's life in Romans 8, that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells within you and me. And that is something that really blows my mind this morning. There's a verse in Ephesians 1 and 13, I'll read it to you this morning, and it explains it powerful well. He says, in whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, 
He says, as a sinner, I heard the word. As a sinner, I heard the word. God the Father was drawing me to Christ. I believed the gospel. I knew I was a sinner and I knew I needed a savior. I trusted in Christ as my savior. He washed me in his blood and then he sealed me by the Holy Spirit of promise. And the job of the Holy Spirit is to come and turn a mess of a life into a message of hope for others to see and teach us the way of Christ. And as we grow in the grace of knowledge of, of, of Jesus Christ, the fruit of the Spirit should be maturing within our lives daily. See, it's the Holy Spirit's job to conform us to the image of Christ, making us more like him. And that's what we're going to look at this morning from Galatians 5, and how as Christians we should be walking in the Spirit and showing a lost and dying world the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Our, our lives gives glory and honor to Jesus Christ because remember, many a time, how we present ourselves to others outside as the only Bible an unbeliever will maybe ever read. And the, and the start of Galatians 5 and Paul 1, uh, or Paul, verse 1, Paul tells us this. He says, Stand fast, therefore, and the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. As believers this morning, we have liberty or freedom in Christ. And that is a freedom to come here and glorify and worship the name of our Savior. We can live a life of freedom and victory in Christ, knowing our sins are forgiven because of Jesus' work that was finished at the cross at Calvary and because we have been justified by his blood. We can live that life of freedom from the consequences of sin, knowing that Jesus Christ has broken the power of sin over our lives by his perfect sacrifice on the cross and by the shedding of his precious blood, because without the shedding of his blood, there would be no forgiveness of sins. The blood of Christ has made us free this morning. The blood of Christ has made us free from the power of sin, free from the wrath of God and the fires of hell. It's free. We're free from the darkness of death and the grave, and we're free from the kingdom of darkness. From the chains of bondage that tries to hold us back. And we are free from fear. We are free in Christ. Jesus Christ has truly set us free. Because the Bible tells us in John 8 and 36. If the Son therefore shall make you free. You shall be free indeed. And we come to a reading in verse 13 this morning. In Galatians 5. And Paul gives us this. He says for brethren. You have been called to liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion of the flesh. You see, we are free in Christ and free indeed as how we will live our lives. But the liberty we have in Christ does not mean that because Christ died on the cross at Calvary that it gives us a license to sin. Definitely not. We just can't live like a saint on a Sunday and live like a devil all week. That's not the, what that liberty is here. That liberty is the freedom we have as in Christ is to love one another and to serve one another. And Paul is telling us here to live a life of love, to love one another and to serve one another. Paul tells us, for the whole law is fulfilled with one word, and that one word is love. And the law, Paul told us earlier on in Galatians, that the love is like a schoolmaster. It points us to Christ. And, and that one word is love, and it's to love your neighbor as yourself. And we thank God this morning that the law is fulfilled in one word, love, and that love is in Christ. And we're no longer under, law, under the law this morning, but we're under grace. And I thank God this morning because Jesus Christ came and he fulfilled the law. See, the liberty we have in Christ, it's not for tearing stripes out of one another. It's not for being critical of one another. It's not to be full of spiritual pride and be putting ourselves on some high pedestal that we're more superior, we're more important, or we're more spiritual than our brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul warned the church about this spiritual elite mindset in 1 Corinthians. And remember, the Bible tells us that God is no respecter of person. Paul warned us in 1 Corinthians 10 and 12, Wherefore, let him that thinks he stands... Take heed, lest they fall. See, in the eyes of God, and when we have trusted in Christ as our Savior, 
We are clothed in his righteousness and God sees us as his children and God loves us with a great love. We are all important, we're all valuable and we're all precious to Christ in his eyes this morning. Now I understand that within the church we are all different. Some maybe have stronger faith than others. Some maybe have more boldness and more courage. Some more wisdom and knowledge than others. But the only time, the only time we should ever be looking down on a brother and sister in Christ is whenever we reach down to give them a hand up to encourage them and strengthen them in this walk of life, that's what's walking in the Spirit's all about. Paul tells us in verse 15 this morning, and this is a powerful verse of Scripture, but if you bite and devour one another, take heed, you be not consumed one another. The Bible tells us in the book of James that the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. It defiles the whole body. It sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. Them's powerful words this morning. That's the word of God this morning. The tongue meaning gossiping, backbiting, or murmuring that can cause serious damage within a church. And here's a thought that came to me whenever I was looking at this this week. You remember the rich man in Luke 16, he died and went to hell. And he cried out to Abraham. He says, send Lazarus to dip his finger in the water to come and cool his tongue. Out of all the members of his body that was in the fires of hell, it was his tongue that was giving him the most torment and pain and suffering. See, we're all very quick to murmur and complain. And it's recorded right throughout scriptures. You imagine the children of Israel escaping out of Egypt. And they came to the Red Sea, the shore of the Red Sea, and the Egyptian army was bearing down on them. And they witnessed God open that Red Sea and witness God giving them dry foot and under, under, over ground to cross to the Red Sea the other side and that Egyptian army hunting them down. You imagine them standing and turning around and seeing God destroying the Egyptian army with the, with the water in the Red Sea. And you, you'd think that they had been standing rejoicing and praising God for months and end. But it's recorded in Exodus 15 that within three days, three days they started to murmur and complain. You see, backbiting, devouring one another, it's of the flesh. And I have personally witnessed a church destroyed by this many years ago. People should never, ever be hurt by a church. I remember my dad and that went to that church, and my dad said to me, you know what he said to me? And I, it struck me to the heart. He says, Stephen, the people in the diamond bar in Ahoko wouldn't have done what was done in there. He says, I don't think I'd have through your church door again. I was gutter. I was troubled. My father wasn't saved. But we hear folks by the grace of God, a year and a half ago, I had the privilege to lead my father to Christ in my backyard. I pointed him to the cross, and he made his own way home. All glory to God. All glory to God. We, we, we must guard our tongues, and we must guard the unity that we have in here. Because you see, you see, gossip is the devil's radio station which poisons ministries. The Holy Spirit has never led anybody into a place where people start to backbite and devour one another. We go on to our readings in verse 16 and 17, and Paul says this. He says, As I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lust is against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things you would. I had this battle this morning. My flesh doesn't want to be standing here in front of you. My flesh wants to be sitting at the back of the church. And I have battled with this the whole week. To walk in the Spirit means you yield to His control. And we follow His leading. And we follow His guidance. And we allow Him to, to influence us daily. To walk in the Spirit is the opposite of resisting Him or grieving Him. In other words, to walk in the Spirit is obedience to the Word of God. We must be reading, we must be praying, we must be having fellowship one with another to strengthen and encourage each other. One of the works of the flesh is witchcraft, and the Bible calls uh, uh, disobedience. Rebellion, or, the Bible calls disobedience rebellion or stubbornness. 
And in Samuel 15 and 23, speaking to Saul, it says, For rebellion, which is disobedience, is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because thou hast rejected the word of God. You see, there's a great fight happening between your sinful body and your spirit, and my sinful body and my spirit. Whenever we come to Christ, we are made a new creation. That is the spirit that's within us is made new. Our fleshly bodies aren't new. Our fleshly bodies aren't a new creation yet. Our spirit is sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise until the day of redemption. But our sinful body is the vessel in which our spirit is within at this present time. And I tell you, the two wrestle one with another morning, noon, and night. And that will continue until your body's either in the grave or Christ raptures us home. See, the flesh, it wants to, it wants to rebel against the, God. It wants the things of the world. It wants the pleasures of sin. It wants the high addictions will bring you. It wants the lusts of sexual desires. And it wants to destroy you. And every one of us in here is fighting that fight of faith. You think of your flesh. I heard a man say at one time, your flesh and your spirit are like two fighting dogs. They fight against the other. Now the one you feed the most, that will grow the strongest and biggest. And that will devour the other. We must feed our spirit daily. And we feed our spirit with the bread of life, which is the very word of God. And we must run from the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. See, the Bible tells us to be not conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we renew our minds by being in the word. That word cleanses our minds, as it does. Your mind, I'm going to tell you something this morning. Your mind is the greatest battlefield you will ever stand and fight on. We must have that helmet of salvation on daily. We must have the full armor of God on. We must be prayed up and covered by the blood of Christ daily. We must take our thoughts captive to Christ and, 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 and prayer daily. You see, Satan, he wants into your mind, and this is for the young people. He wants into your mind. You be very careful by what you're watching through your, what you let into your mind through your idea. And you be very careful what you're listening to by what you listen to, by music and things that comes into your mind. Never forget, Satan was in charge of worship in heaven before he was kicked out of it. You see the music industry that's satanically inspired in this country, and this world today. I've never seen it as bad as I see it now. Every single war, murder, rape, crime, and addiction, malice and backbiting, the list goes on. Started with a thought in somebody's mind that became an action. See, it's a constant battle between the flesh and the spirit. And Paul tells us of his very own struggles in the book of Romans. And it's found in chapter 7, verses 19 to 20. I'll read it to you here. Now listen to what he says. He says, For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. This is, the, this is coming from the very man that wrote the majority of the New Testament. That's the struggles he had. We fight against it daily just like Paul did. See, to walk in the spirit is to die to self. And to die to self is a completely painful process. The Lord Jesus Christ told us in Matthew 16 and 24, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Dying to self is an absolute surrender to God and to turn from that sinful, prideful world out there today. See, in parts of this world, to follow Christ, it will cost you your life. Would we, be, would we be willing to die for our faith in Collybecky this morning? I wasn't long saved at the time, and my minister was Raymond McLaren, and they told me, they recalled hearing of a wee girl in Iran, a teenager in Iran, and she was listening to a gospel message in that Sat7 gospel radio station that's broadcast out there. 
up in her bedroom and the Lord saved her. And she came, down to the, she came downstairs to her father. And she, her father was a very religious Islamic man. Told her father she'd get saved and her father instantly beat her to death. Ten minutes she was in the glory. Unreal. See, we must die to self and be committed to Christ. It's not an easy work, but it'll certainly be worthwhile. See, the disciple of Christ, he must be willing to suffer loss. Are we willing to take up our cross a face with a choice, Jesus Christ, or your life? And I always try to explain it. If somebody came in here with a gun this morning and put a gun to our head and says, you renounce Christ in your life, you'll live, what would you do? Because I tell you why, you think of how Satan operates. Satan's a bad animal. He knows how we kick. You remember what Satan said in the book of Job. Here's what he said. Skin for skin, all that a man has will he give for his life. See, whenever death comes knocking on your door, don't let fear and hell be calling. Where do you stand in the promises of God this morning? If we submit ourselves to God, he says, and resist the devil, the devil will flee from us. That's some promise to be standing on here this morning. Let's quick, quickly look at the works of the flesh. There's so much in here, and I'm just trying to condense it into as, as short a time as I can. But the first four, they're, they're, they're essential sins, or they relate to sexual sins. They've adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, and lasciviousness. Adultery is violating the marriage covenant with sexual immorality. But it's even more than, that, than having just a physical sexual encounter. Jesus Christ himself said that if any man or woman was to look at another with lust in their heart, they have already committed adultery. Remember the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8? And it was a religious man of the day were going to stone her to death. And Jesus said, He that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. It wasn't one of them men could throw a stone. See, listen, folks, there's a lot within the church today, and they like to cast stones upon others. They upcast people's past. They do a lot of accusing. But what they're really doing is the work of the devil, and they don't even know it because the devil is the accuser of the brethren. And you'll usually find out those involved in the stone chuck, and they're usually finding their own sinful, lying ways and try to belittle others to cover their own sin. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And how do we overcome the accuser? We overcome him by the word of our testimony and by the blood of the Lamb. That day when the woman was going to be stoned, the only man that was qualified to throw the stones that day didn't do it, and that was Jesus Christ himself. Let us not be stone chucklers. We want to be restorers and encouragers. Let us be people who grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ and let the fruit of the Spirit mature within us daily. We have fornication, a single people having sexual relationships. And this comes from that ancient Greek word, pernia. I, I, I've been accused of, of, of using this Greek word, I'm some super scholar. I'm not. Whenever I get interested in a word, I Google it. What does that mean in Greek? And it comes up. I can't read Greek. I can't spell Greek. I can't. I, I know nothing about it. But when I get interested in a word, I look at it. That's pernia. It's the same with sorceries out in the world today. In the book of Revelation, it says uh, the whole world will be deceived by their sorceries. That word's pharmacia, where we get pharmaceuticals from. That's where we get that from. That's why it interests me to look at these things. But we get that word pornography from pernia. Today, Porn is a blight in society, it's a blight in young people's minds, and it's a blight within the very church because it's so readily available. See, the majority of sexual crimes today, like rape, they stem from the root of pornography. With uncleanliness, dirty talk, or smutty jokes, filthy language, even sarcasm. Like we said earlier, we must guard our mouths because Paul tells us, for God hath not called us unto uncleanliness, but unto holiness. We have lasciviousness, which is a behavior that's, that expresses strong desire for sexual activity. It's lust of the eyes and it's lust of the flesh. See, the Holy Spirit never led anybody into these, these sexual sins. Quickly, we have idolatry and witchcraft. You can place these two in religious sins. 
And the book of 1 John finishes with a warning that says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And you see an idol, it's anything or anyone that comes before the Lord Jesus Christ. I always maintain it's God first and then your family and then the church. It's just, Trevor said last week, you know, you put God first above everything. Or even there could be somebody within the church that you're idolizing. See, out in that world today, there's people serve a God of their own opinion, of their own creation. They reject the true and living God. And it's a sin, and we'll touch on it in a moment. Witchcraft is the works of the occult. You have tarot cards, fortune tellers, horoscopes, Ouija boards. Listen, folks, even people have, I, I don't know all ends and outs about it. People said even yoga stems down the road of witchcraft and, 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 and all it does. And there is witchcraft within our churches at times. And the whole thing is satanic. We can have nothing to do with witchcraft. And I believe what that girl will speak on the night, that's Recky, as a form of, of witchcraft, a subtle form of witchcraft. If we only knew the extent of witchcraft in our country, it would make your blood run cold. Did any of you see what happened last week in Davos, 2024, where the world leaders gathered together with the Satanic World Economic Forum? They opened, they had a witch doctor on stage. They, well, I don't know if it was a he or a she, but they'd done an open Satanic ritual on stage and went across and blew a spell over the people sitting in there. That's the people that stand and uh, holding these meetings. And the way I look at it is they're, 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 they're holding meetings to make their lives better and make our lives miserable. Well, it's just me, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. There's, a, there's, there's covens of witches in our land, and I tell you now, they're praying against every ministry in this town. They're praying against your, your, your marriage. They're praying against your family and your children. And they're deadly serious in what they're doing. There's a, there's a tattoo parlor in our town, and it's called the Coven, C-O-V-E-N, and it's satanically inspired. And young people think it's cool and trendy. It's nothing cool. It's satanic. That's just how much it's in our land at the day. Young people, I tell you, stay well clear of witchcraft. Then quickly, we have hatred and we have variance. Emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, and murder. And you can look at these as people's sins or how a person will treat another person. We can put hatred and variance, wrath, strife, seditions, and murder together. And these all stem from hatred and anger. Wrath is a sudden outburst of anger, a fiery temper out of control, and anger gives birth to strife and variance. And there are those today that's within the church and they're following nothing but wrath and anger. And they say they could be spirit-filled. Well, I would question that. because How did I know that? Because I was one of them people. And God challenged me in this word in Galatians 5. And he says, the anger you have in you, Stephen, is not righteous anger. It's a fleshly anger. And he challenged me in this scripture last year. And we're to test the spirits, folks. First John tells us we're to test the spirits. See, if you, if you test the spirits, anyone can perfect an image, but nobody will affect the fruit of the spirit. I can assure you that now. I was, I was deeply challenged with these, these verses last year. That word variance depicts a battery means spirit, and it's so consumed with its own self-interest and self-ambitions that that would rather split, divide, and sow discord than to admit it was wrong. And this is exactly why church splits happen. Seditions means to get rebellious already after a fight. I can even go down the road of sectarianism and look at the sectarianism that's plagued our nation. And this all stems from anger and hatred and eventually murder. And Jesus Christ told us if we hate someone within our heart, we have murdered them. And I'll give you a perfect example of that. I'm a, I'm a World War II freak. I'm, I love my World War II history. And I'll use Adolf Hitler for a perfect example. I'd never read or studied anywhere that Adolf Hitler left a gun or a knife and murdered anybody. But because of anger and hatred in that man's heart, six and a half million people died in extermination camps. Heresies, they're, they're, they're false teachings. And Paul tells us in Romans 1 that some men hold the truth and unrighteousness, meaning they lift this word of God and they twist it 
to, to make it suit the cult or whatever they're doing at that time. Just that you have the Jehovah Witnesses and you have your Mormons. And I'm going to tell you something. If you trust that that's subtly, you need to know that word and be ready for them when they come calling your door. Emulations is to imitate other people. A form of jealousy or what someone has achieved or, or acquired. And today, as young people again, that word will want you to imitate a sports person or a movie star or a music star. We, I tell you, we think Paul says in the Bible, by the grace of God, he is who he is. By the grace of God, I am who I am. And by the grace of God, your young people are who you are and who God created you to be. The only person we should be trying to imitate in our life is Christ himself. We have, we have envyings and jealousy. And that is to cover after something or what someone else has. You have that old green-eyed monster we hear about, and that is deadly. If you think back to the very first murder ever recorded in the Bible, whenever Cain murdered Abel, it was Cain's jealousy because of Abel's sacrifice was favored by God, which birthed hatred in Cain's heart, which led him to murder his brother out in the field. Drunkenness, revelings, or, or drunken parties and the such like, that speaks for itself again. You see, first the man will take the drink, and then the drink will take the man. And young people, I waste many a year, and many and much of my life with drunken parties and revelings, and it's only a waste of time and a waste of your life. Before I came to Christ, I wasted so much time with this nonsense. Many a home, a marriage, a business, lives, they have completely destroyed with drunkenness. Many a man in this country has drunk a farm of land away. Destroys everything. See, the works of the flesh, they're all summed up in one word, and it's sin. And if we love God, we ought to hate the one thing that caused the death of our Savior on the cross, which is sin. The works of the flesh, they're all characteristics of Satan. Paul warns us that if, we, if any men live this way, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he also told us the same thing in 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11. I'll read it to you here. He says, Know you not that their unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, nor effeminate, that's your transgender brigade, nor abusers of themselves and mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, covets, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And I could put myself into them two verses of Scripture, but look at the next verse of Scripture. This is powerful. And such were some of you, but you've been washed, we were sanctified, and we've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And we're coming to the fruit of the Spirit now. And don't, don't be confusing these with the gifts of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit are absolutely beautiful, and these are the characteristics of Jesus Christ himself. If you notice, it's not worded fruits of the Spirit, but it's a singular fruit. And there is nine elements here, but the first and greatest is love. And if you look at the other eight, they are love and action. And I, I, I read a quote last week, and this is, I thought it was powerful. It said, a man is what he loves and what he fears. This is the measure of any man and any country under any condition. And what are we to love? We are to love our God with all our hearts, soul, mind, and strength. And we're to love one another. And what are we to fear? We're to fear the Lord. And that word love used here, as I tell you, I don't know anything about Greek, but it's that whole Greek word, agape love. It's not, it's not a romantic love or, or, or a friendship love. This love involves faithfulness and it involves commitment. And I'll let this Bible speak here, but true love is. It's found in, in, in that um, great uh, chapter in 1 Corinthians about love. And I've used the NIV version here in this because it's really plain to be seen here. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 and 5. It says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, 
It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Hey, let me quickly, I want to quickly jump in here again with a word of warning, especially to the young people again. You see out in that world today, we have a whole generation of young people being led on a broad road to hell under a false banner of love. The spirit of error, the spirit of antichrist that John talks about has created an idol God in these young people's minds that tolerates sin. See, one of Satan's greatest weapons is deception and man's ignorance to God's word. And today this world will label me, folks, homophobic for what I'm going to say. I'm not chucking stones here and I'm not homophobic because homo means man or human being and phobic, phobic means a fear. I don't fear, I don't fear man. I want to speak this morning from the truth of God's word and show you the deception. With a militant movement of, of, of that LGBT movement out in that world today, and I call them militant because they're at war with the infallible word of God. It says love is proud. Love is not proud, the Bible says. It wants to live by the works of the flesh, and it wants the church to be accepting to this, and Satan has infiltrated the church. Now listen, I'm not standing here gathering stones this morning to throw at anybody. What I want to be is a restorer, an encourager, and tell people the truth of God's word. But this is completely wrong, and as men and women of God, we must stand in the authority of this word and speak the truth. Because today, in this world, the truth sounds like hate, to those that hate the truth. And those that are shouting for tolerance are the most intolerant of all. And today there is ministers that have embraced the false love movement. And I tell you, these are Satan's ministers. They say there's no harm in it. I'll tell you, they're Satan's ministers. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. And they're destroying people's minds. I'll give you scripture for it. Paul warned us about these men in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 14 to 15. He says in verse 14... And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Verse 15, it says, Therefore, it is no great thing of his ministers. Whose ministers? Satan's ministers. Also be transformed as the ministers of unrighteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. You have heard it say, we were born this way. And I absolutely agree with that. We were all born in sin and shape and iniquity because we were all born sinners. We were born that way. They say, what would Christ say today? But say the same as he said 2,000 years ago to Nicodemus. He says, you must be born again. Unless a man is born again, he shall never see the kingdom of God. And if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed. Behold, all things have become new. And it truly troubles me today to see so many people have been blindsided by the great deception of Satan himself. Even in the book of Job, I think it's from verse chapter 42 or 43, where it talks about Leviathan, the old serpent Leviathan, which is a picture of Satan himself. And at the end of that chapter, it goes on to say that he is the king of the children of pride. That shows you how the deception has run so far across this world. But if you look at true love in the Bible, if you think of the law of first mention in the Bible, and that is whenever you take a word like love, a, a strong word like love, and you go and you see where love has been first mentioned in the scriptures. And how this word is first, is first used is how it will be continuously used throughout the scripture. And love is first mentioned in the book of Genesis 22 and verse 2. And it says, Whenever Abraham is commanded to take his only son Isaac, whom he loves, and sacrifice him on the altar to God. Isn't that amazing? The first time love is mentioned in the Bible, it's under the sac a sacrifice to Almighty God. 
that great love that God showed the world at Calvary, that great love that a man would lay down his life for his friends, and that great love that Jesus Christ showed the adulterous in John 8, that great love that Christ showed the lepers, the great love he showed the little children as he gathered them in, and the great love he showed as he stood at the, the, the tomb of Lazarus and wept, and that great love he showed you and showed me when he reached out of heaven and chose you to receive that greatest gift given to man, kind, the gift of eternal life. What a love, folks. What a saviour. What God has loved this morning. And I love him to bits. But listen, if you're in here this morning, you're outside of Christ. He is also a holy and just God. And the Bible tells us that he that has the Son has life. But he that does not have the Son, the wrath of God abides upon him. If you're outside of Christ this morning, and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the wrath of God abides upon you. You see, the love of God the love of God is in Christ. If you're outside of Christ, that love was, was, was shown at Calvary. And outside of that, God has no love for an evil, wicked world. The wrath of God abides upon all those that have not trusted in Christ. For us, that, that view you trust in Christ this morning, and, 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 and you know him, it brings you great joy, knowing that we're not only saved from our sins, we're saved from that wrath to come. Because Christ appeased the wrath of God on the hill at Golgotha. And it brings us to joy this morning. See, joy is our love in action. In Nehemiah 8, the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. And joy is a great source of strength. The psalmist tells us in his presence there is fullness of joy. The psalmist says weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Many of us maybe be facing uncertain days in here. Many of you have wept at night, but God promises that joy will come in the morning. Listen, brother or sister. The best is yet to come for us, especially on that great, bright, and glorious morning on God's heavenly shore to the land where joy will never end. Help us keep focused on Christ in these days we're living in and not their problems. Paul tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. And I truly believe it's so important for brothers and sisters in Christ to be encouraging one another these days. And I want to say a big thank you from the pulpit here this morning to the people in Cullybeck Elam. Because this past 10 months, the joy of the Lord has been restored to me. And, and then we have peace. Paul tells us to live peacefully with all men. This peace that speaks here, it's not a peace with the world because we war against the world, the flesh, and the devil daily. But this peace is knowing God is sovereign. He's in control. He knows our situations. He has everything under control. And knowing the wrath of God no longer abides upon us gives us great peace in Christ. And Paul tells us, to let the peace of God rule our hearts because Jesus Christ has made peace between us and a holy, righteous God because Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. Paul instructs us in Philippians 4 and 6, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. <laughs> Do you know that great peace of God in your life this morning? Folks, let me tell you about the peace of God in my life. In 2012, I was diagnosed with malignant melanoma. Didn't know what was going to happen. 2017, it went into my back. I had some dark days. You see, the peace of God took me through it. Every last day, it took me through that. He gave me strength. And in 2023 was the year I got discharged. A, a, a 10, 11 year journey, but God took me through it. See, the morning was not to see me consultant. I'll never forget it. I had, I had charged Spurgeon's uh, daily readings out in front of me. And it said on the top of it, uh, when the storms of life come, the sovereignty of God is the pillar upon which you lay your head. And that's what I said to the consultant when I shook his hand that morning. People say to me, Stephen, you should have the faith that God could have healed you instantly. I did have that faith. 
You see, when I shook the hand of that consultant that morning, you'd have felt that man's hand. That wasn't the hand of a lorry driver, a farmer. That man's hand was created for such a time for this, to use that scalpel. And God had created that man for, for the job he'd done. And, and I had the peace of God right through it. See, when the ruling men of theatre went in for a nine or ten hour operation, we nurses, you're all right. And the only thing I could say to her, hey, I'm in a one-one situation. She says, what do you mean? I says, the Bible tells me to live as Christ, to die as gain. You see, if I'd have died to him, I'd have been in glory. Praise God. That's encouragement we need in here, folks. God's so good to us. He's good to us. We have a long suffering, or we have pa- a long suffering, which means patience. And I tell you, this is a weakness of my, this is a weakness of mine. I've, I've, my patience can be scarce at times. But Paul tells us we are to be patient one with another. Ephesians 4 and 2. With all lowliness and meekness and long suffering, forbearing one another. And long suffering as God's character. Look how long suffering it was with me and you until we responded to his call of salvation in our lives. And it's the same with your family members. Keep you praying for them. I know we get, uh, we get impatient at times, but we must keep praying for them because it's all in God's timing. We have goodness, and uh, goodness is holiness in action. You have the Holy Spirit-led desire within you to help someone feed, feed the hungry or, or clothe the needy or just to be there to encourage someone and there, and there are a need. We have gentleness and meekness. And they go hand in hand. To be gentle and meek isn't a sign of weakness. See, Jesus Christ, when he walked this world, he walked it with gentleness and meekness as the Lamb of God. And this world thinks that Jesus Christ and Christians are some kind of soft touch. But yet Christ is coming back as the Lion of Judah. He's coming back as a man of war to destroy the enemies of the cross. There is nothing weak about being gentle and meek. And to be gentle and meek is to be humble and to live a life with restraint behavior in all situations. And I believe it takes a strong person to be gentle and meek in this, this world we live in. Because any fool can fly off the, the handle in a fit of rage and anger. Even when it comes to church discipline and rebuking someone of sin, and brothers and sisters in Christ, they shouldn't be browbeat into a corner and going to kick him with somebody's tongue. Paul tells us how it should be done. He says, Brethren, if any man be overtaken a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. That's what God tells us to do in his word. And quickly we move on to faith. And the Bible says in that great chapter in Hebrews 11 about the men of faith, that without faith it is impossible to please God. You see, you know that great verse, the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the BBC. No, you know it's not the BBC. But what I mean here is what you're listening to, where you're taking your guidance from, is what you'll build your faith upon. The Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith and fear don't mix. The opposite of faith is fear. And we live in a world that is controlled by fear and dominated by fear. The world will tell you to fear disease. I'll tell you to fear pestilence. Fear the climate. Fear wars and fear rumors of wars. Fear earthquakes and every natural disaster will happen. Fear what others will think of you. Fear what other folk will think of your clothes you're wearing. Even fear death. Fear everything but fear the Lord. That's what the world will tell you. It's the only fear a Christian should have is the fear of the Lord. And this is where I want to highlight the importance of being in the word of God daily. I treasure that word because how important is the word? The psalmist tells us in Psalm 138 that God magnifies his word above his very name. The psalmist tells us in 34.11, God says, Come children, hearken unto me and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. If you want a great Bible study, go you home and study the fear of the Lord and God will teach you. That's beautiful. It tells us in Messiah that the fear of the Lord is his treasure. And I believe that's the treasure we should all have. 
That's not a fear like the world knows. That's a reverent fear of God, a reverence for his power and his glory. But it's also a proper respect for his wrath and his anger. It's the, the fear of the Lord, Lord as total acknowledgement of God and all he has and all his character has. And you see, fear is a spirit. Because the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, For God has not given us, that's me and you that are Christians, a spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. And that mind is the battle. The mind is a battlefield, as I said, that you will stand and fight on. And fear is the weapon that the enemy will choose. See, Jesus Christ asked a question, and it's found in Luke 18 and 8. He said, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And boy, that question, I have pondered that question over my head. And I've asked more people enough this question. And I've thought to myself, since 2022, and all the fear that was in the world, and the, uh, which the spirit of Antichrist uh, pumped into the world, and even every anti-people's hearts and minds across the whole globe, what has the professing church of Jesus Christ been showing a lost and dying and hopeless world? Is it throwing a strong, solid faith built upon the rock Christ Jesus standing against firm, standing firm against the evil of that world because Paul instructed us in Ephesians 5.11 that we, the Christians, are to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but we're to expose them. And you pray for your pastor because your pastor has discernment to expose the evil works in that world. Whereas the world, as the church showing that ungodly, worldly fear. If Christ shall come this week, will he find that faith that pleases Almighty God in my life and your life? You see, whenever fear comes knocking, go out and get to your faith and send faith to answer that door. Because when faith answers the door, fear's gone. See, fear, it'll control you, it'll isolate you, and it'll eventually destroy you. And I believe as Christians today, we should be encouraging one another to build each other up in our faith and strengthen one another in this battle that we're in. Friends, don't let the enemy isolate you because fear will isolate you. Isolation does not come from God. Isolation is from the enemy. And the enemy seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. He'll isolate you from your prayer time. He'll isolate you from the word. He'll isolate you from fellowship. And he'll isolate you from the worship. And that'll destroy your faith. The Bible tells us that we must learn from the word of God. We're not to forsake or sit the assembling ourselves together as the manner of some halves, but we're to encourage one another, even more so as we see the day approaching. And what day is that? It's the day of Christ. And we're in the season of the day of Christ because he's coming soon for his bride. I believe that with my heart and soul. We don't want to draw back into this world in 2024. We are those in here in the Eden Church and Collie Beckham that believe in the saving of souls. I don't want to go back to the fear that's in the world. I want to see souls won for Christ because we serve a mighty God and he is mighty to save. And let me tell you, never let the enemy isolate you. Let us come with confidence this year to God because the Bible tells us in the fear of the Lord there is strong confidence. Let us live a life of strong faith and confidence in Jesus Christ. Just like the faith Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had as they walked into that fiery furnace. Just like the faith David had when he stood in the battlefield and faced Goliath and he had an extra five stones weighing of David's brothers that had turned up and he had them too. The faith Elijah had as he challenged the 450 prophets of Baal. That faith Caleb and Joshua had when they came back in from the land of Canaan and the mission. And you know what they said? We are able to take the land. And I believe, folks, we need that strong faith to go down into Collibecki and plunder that kingdom of darkness because greater is he that is in us than he that is in that world. And that's the faith that God that pleases God. And we're just coming into close here, folks, and we have temperance. And that's to be in control of our tempers, to not fly off the handle. Far too many within the church today try to justify a fleshly wrath and anger 
by saying it's righteous anger, and I hold my hands up to this because these scriptures opened me up like a can of worms last year. And it's all nonsense because I was guilty of it. There is a time for righteous anger, and Jesus Christ showed it himself when he came into the temple and he seen the moneylenders and the changers. And I would have loved to witness that scene, Jesus making that, that cord of, uh, out of the ropes and whipping the folk out of the church, and he kicked over the tables, and he says, my father's house is a house of prayer. And that's because of the fear of the Lord, it is. Just in closing, we have desirous, or we ought to be desirous of being glory and provoking one another. No flesh is to be glorified. We must be humble before God and our fellow man. We must not boast of ourselves. The only one we should boast in here is Christ, because he alone is worthy of all our worship. He humbled himself, and he was obedient unto death on the cross for us. See, being glory is all about what we have done, what we will do, and what we'll achieve. Being glory and provocation is all about me, myself, and I. But it's all about Christ and what he has done, faith alone and Christ alone. And that's what we must do, be walking in the Spirit daily. The Holy Spirit, folks, has never led anyone into the works of the flesh. And I want to leave you with one verse of Scripture this morning. And I hope you get encouragement and strength and comfort from it. And it's found in Romans 8 and verse 1. And it's a powerful wee verse. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And that's what we're to do as Christians. We're to walk after the Spirit and please our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Folks, thanks for listening to me this morning. Let's just bow in a wee word. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Father, I thank you for your help this morning, Lord. And I thank you for the people that's not scattered this morning. I thank you, Lord, how you changed my life through these scriptures, Father. And Lord, I pray, Father God, that we will imply these to our lives, Lord. Lord, you sell your word, will go out and not return unto your void, Father. Lord, I just pray that today that the Holy Spirit will move and hearts and minds and souls, Father, and lives will be changed, Lord. You're a mighty God and you're a mighty to save, Father. And I, I pray for everyone in this meeting today, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that you will just take us home to our, to our homes and safety and, and with, with your fear and your blessing, Lord. And we pray for this wee woman, Lord, in the meeting today, Lord. I just pray, Father God, for the strength and comfort and the healing that she needs at this time, Lord. Lord, we love you this morning. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us, Lord. Lord, just, just, Lord, just excite us in these days we're in, Father. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll just come to our closing hymn this morning, folks. And it's a beautiful hymn and it's found in, in Christ alone. And that's where our faith is, in Christ alone this morning. So we'll all stand to our feet and we'll just close in Christ alone this morning. Thank you.
thank you. Keep us all, Lord, that we're able to stand in the power of Christ in the days ahead, Lord. So just part us now with your fear and your blessing, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you.